Ahoy authors! You're listening to the Writership Podcast, a show focused on helping indie authors master self-editing skills. So come aboard and get ready to find the treasure in your manuscript with hosts Leslie Watts and Alyssa Archer. Welcome to episode three of the Writership Podcast. I'm Leslie Watts. And I'm Alyssa Archer. Leslie and I are the co-captains of writership.org, where we create books, programs, and content for authors who want to improve their craft or simply want to learn how to write a novel in the first place. We've learned so much from other writers, and with this podcast, we want to pay it forward and really help you master self-editing so you can dominate the sales charts in your genre. The Writership Podcast is brought to you by Author Marketing Institute as part of the AMI Podcast Network. You can learn more about how AMI is helping authors by visiting www.authormarketinginstitute.com. If you go there today, you can gain free access to their brand new video course entitled Selling Your First 100 Copies. That's authormarketinginstitute.com. In this podcast, we critique actual submissions from authors who understand they may need help seeing the flaws in their own writing and are brave enough to share this experience with you so that you might better see what can be improved in your writing. We understand that it's a huge leap of faith for these authors. They're putting their trust in us to edit their work well and with a gentle hand. So who are we to be trusted? Leslie, why don't you tell the world just a bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a nonfiction author. I'm currently at work on my first novel. I was editor-in-chief of the American Journal of Criminal Law when I was in law school and a staff attorney to two judges on the Texas Court of Criminal Appeals. Alyssa, would you like to tell us a little bit about you? Sure. Um, The short version is that I've been writing fiction for about 30 years and actively helping writers and critique groups as a judge for contests and as a freelance editor for about 20 years. If you want to find out more about me and Leslie and what we do at Writership, you're welcome to find us on the web at writership.org. Great. Well, um, let me just uh, orient you to our format. We start the show with a quote about editing. Then we dive into our critique session, which includes uh, substantive revision suggestions, if needed, and copy edits. Um, We will leave you with an editorial mission at the end of the show to help you practice one of the principles we've talked about. Keep in mind that you can find the edits and any resources we mention in the show notes at writership.org slash podcast. So we'll go ahead and dive into the quote of the week. Today's quote is from Bill Bryson. Language is more fashion than science and matters of usage, spelling, pronunciation, and pronunciation that is, tend to wander around like hemlines. So what this says to me is that the rules of language do change with the times with trends um, and it's best to understand the rationale for a rule and why you're applying it. Or not applying it. (laughs) Or not applying it. Choosing not to. So yeah. All right. Alyssa, would you like to start us off with the critique session? I would. I would. Um, I want to very much thank the author for the submission today, we're looking at um, a mystery called Last Search. And we're, again, looking at the first several pages of this. 
And I'm sorry, I don't have the author's name in front of me. I believe it's Jeff Izzell. Jeff Izzell, that rings a bell. Wonderful. Thank you, Jeff. And I believe this is not yet published. Right. Great. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and read the first several pages and then we'll talk about it. So here we go. Last search. Prologue. Shaking his head violently side side, Hunter can't avoid the rope noose as it slips over his head and snugs tightly against his neck. He gags for breathe, tongue hanging out. The rope over the mighty oak tree limb tightens, lifting his legs off the ground. Another delightful day is born for teenager Tanisha Washington. Unpredictable trauma, havoc, mystery, and horror will descend around her and people she doesn't even know. The morning starts with a rosy red sunrise creeping across the freshly mowed front lawn on the Washington's two acres in rural cut and shoot north of Houston, Texas. Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailors take warning. Tanisha recites the rhyme aloud to herself. Silly myth from Science Club Weather Studies. How could that affect anybody here in the woods in cut and shoot? She greets a cheery day, returning from the road with her step-grandpa's newspaper. Hot pink azaleas bloom across the house front. The sweet smell of spring permeates the dawn. Like a ballet troupe, the Spanish moss strands dance with the winds and tall oaks to the music of darting birds celebrating spring in a symphony of song. Friday, she cooks her special breakfast for her grandparents before they all go their separate ways. Claria to work domestic house cleaning services, Booker to Herbie's auto repair shop as a mechanics helper, and Tanisha to middle school, seventh grade advanced studies. The bouquet of sizzling sausages and coffee wafts to the bedroom, dragging Booker down the hallway as though he's on a leash. Oh my, that do smell good, Tanisha, honey. He settles at the table, slurping coffee and unfolding the paper. Sit-down meals are a time for family discussions. Grams, think I'm going to wear my pink dress with the frilly lace collar for school pictures Monday. What you think? That's, that sounds perfect, Tanisha, dear. You look nice this morning in your yellow blouse and skirt. My, 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 you getting so tall and pretty, Claria says. What you think, Booker? Concentra concentrating on the sports page, Booker peers over the top, glasses slipping down his nose, and grunts, Uh-huh, fine, fine, dappy fine, honey. The delicious breakfast is gone in no time. Claria stacks the dishes in the sink to soak. You knows the Astros got a chance this year, Booker says, still reading. Tanisha leans down, gives her grams a hug and a kiss on the cheek. Grandpops, you know those Astros can't get it done. They got no pitching. She gives him an affectionate pat as she passes. You don't know nothing. You just a silly girl. Tanisha smiles. Her step-grandpops knows she's right. Booker looks up and studies her in her tight yellow blouse, blossoming bosom, tennis shoes, and smooth, latte-colored le long legs all the way up to her little short skirt. Mm-mm. Bye, sweetie, Clara yells after her, standing at the open screen door. We love you. Happy it's Friday with Science Club and a volleyball team scrimmage. She skips along the neatly trimmed holly shrubs lining the driveway. 
Tanisha's sweet soprano voice booms out Curly's opening from Oklahoma. Oh, what a beautiful morning. Oh, what a beautiful day. Everything's coming up roses. Everything's coming my way. With pink sky turning to blue, her back to the house, she raises her right hand and waves without looking back. Birds chirping, flitting through the trees, announce spring and search for mates. The school bus door closes behind her. A midnight blue tricked out Impala with dark reflective blue tinted windows, slow cruises close to the middle school exit door after volleyball scrimmage at day's end. It messages the look of a drug dealer or pimp mobile. It stops, blocking Tanisha's path to her after-school extracurricular bus. The passenger's electric window slides down. A red-haired older teen, staring at Tanisha, leans his head and shoulders out of the window, displaying tattooed arms and a neck tat creeping out from under his Metallica t-shirt. Clouds of sweet-smelling smoke billow around him into the air. He extends his right hand, beckoning to Tanisha. Come here. Hey, hey, baby, all in yellow. Want to ride home with a real fine fella? I ain't your baby and you ain't a fine fella. Loser, buzz off. Tanisha scurries behind the car, jumping into her bus. Smiling about her put-down delivery, she leaves the loser with mouth agape and reddening face. His three buddies in the car erupt in laughter, jeering. Loser, loser. The redhead squints and stammers. I'll get you, sweet thing. Y y you and me. His index finger and thumb extends in a rocking motion, finger pointing to her, thumb to him, then back again and again. Tanisha sits in the first row and watches the Impala pull away. She turns and bumps a white cane leaning against her seatmate. It's Betsy Burns, her school's only blind student. Tanisha has admired the courageous eighth grader from afar, riding the school bus and not attending a special school. Betsy's friend isn't here this Friday to walk her up the long driveway to her front door. That leaves Betsy riding the bus on her own. Tanisha lives only a quarter mile away, but Betsy's parents never allow Tanisha to visit her. Some white folks have a hard time with interracial friendships. Some black folks do, too. Betsy's blindness has no skin color issues. I'll walk you to the door, Betsy, Tanisha offers. Betsy's brow rises. Her lips flash a slight smile. Politely, Betsy says, no need. I can do it okay. I insist. We're neighbors. It's no trouble at all. We can talk some girl talk. Besides, I can pick some wild daffodils from my grams along the road walking home. Maybe I can soften her parents' prejudices and we can be friends. The bus driver notices Betsy's escort is absent. He knows a change in drop-offs is against the rules. But the school should not have allowed her on the bus trip home. That's not his fault. Tanisha's such a good girl, lives next door. What could it hurt this one time? Red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailors take warning. Sunday morning, Reverend Robison from the pulpit with raised arms, palms upward, calls out, Please bow your heads and say a silent prayer for the safe return of our beloved choir member, Tanisha Washington. Send out your light of love to brighten the path so she can find her way home to Claria and Booker. The organist softly plays in the garden as the congregation prays. 
Claria squeezes Booker's hand. She remembers Tanisha's pretty voice in the choir singing her favorite hymn. Her eyes moisten and tears streak her cheeks as she sings softly to herself. I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear, the Son of God discloses. The entire congregation hears her singing softly and joins her in the chorus. And he walks with me and he talks with me and he tells me I am his own and the joy we share as we tarry there none other has ever known. Robison, eyes tearing, adds, We ask in Jesus' name to bring our little sister home safe, to rejoin our flock and sing the glory of God in her sweet young voice again. Amen. Praise Jesus. Amen, resounds from the pews. Thanks to all of you who helped search for her yesterday and put up the posters donated by Texas EquiSearch. We are meeting at 3 p.m. again for those who wish to help find our little Tanisha. Come join us. Let us stand and sing. What a friend we have in Jesus. Chapter 1, 0800, Monday, April 9, missing 62 hours. Boom, 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 mortar fire, incoming, rocket-propelled grenades. No way out of the Fallujah Alley, trapped. Darkness invades, silence. Boom, 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 dog barking, snarling, woof, woof. J.C. Eckert jerks up, strains to understand. Stupefied from disturbed deep sleep, his clammy, sweat-drenched t-shirt clings to his body. Where am I? His yellow lab, Hunter, runs in barking, alerting danger. J.C.'s cobwebbed brain attempts to register the events. This isn't Fallujah. Boom, boom, boom. Hunter streaks to the front entrance again, barking, snarling warnings. J.C. struggles to his feet. Brain foggy, he stumbles through a doorway. His motion detected, a bright light flashes. His eyes scrunch from pain. His hand glides across his sunburned face, feeling tired, puffy eyes and a two-day stubble begging a shave. Boom, boom, boom. More barking. Hunter comes back, nudges him in the back of his knee with his nose, beckoning him to follow. Hunter's thoughts, unheard by humans, express frustration. Hunter, come on, JC, danger, let's go. The brain fog thins. He realizes he's in his own bathroom. The motion, motion switch had automatically turned on the light, illuminating his disheveled, graying, crew-cut image. He's not in the streets of Fallujah. It's another flashback nightmare from his Navy SEAL Desert Storm missions behind the lines. The memories play back too frequently as vivid movie scenes in tormented dreams. Boom, boom, boom. The door? Who's beating on my door so early, he mumbles. The hall clock says 8 a.m. Hunter escorts him to the door, nails clicking on the ceramic tile floor, barking warnings to the interloper all the way. J.C. sees his day-glow lime-green search vest draped over a living room chair and steps over his dirty brown shirt crumpled on the floor. Who is it? J.C. shouts. Using the people, he sees a hand poised with clenched fist raised to beat on the door again. It's Benjamin Bennett, sir. Tanisha's cousin. Woof, woof. Growl. I don't know the name. What's this about? J.C. says through the door. My cousin Tanisha disappeared Friday and ain't no police doing nothing. Somebody got her. She gonna die. Hold on a minute, 
Be right back, JC responds, walking away from the door. Hunter again growls and barks his disapproval. Quiet, Hunter. It's okay. JC pats Hunter's shoulder to calm him. He points to an area rug in the beige Mexican tiled living room. Hunter, sit. Stay. Hunter reluctantly walks, head drooping to the rug and obediently sits, watching the front door. On the way back to the bedroom, he snatches his khaki shirt off the floor and the search vest off the chair. He feels an extra weight and pulls his cell out of a vest pocket. The message lights blinking. He grabs boots and dirty socks in the kitchen and his hat off the table. His ship-shaped house is in disarray after his 3 a.m. return from a search in Beaumont, Texas. He hears a burble from the auto-timed coffee pot starting to perk. Ah, relief is on the way, he mutters to himself. He flips on the bedroom TV, checking the video view of Benjamin Bennett at the door while he strips off his sweaty t-shirt. The security monitor shows a six-foot, 20-something black male, medium build, wearing black warm-up pants, a red Houston Rockets jersey over a white tee, and red basketball high tops. He paced. Hunter, come. Hunter runs to the bedroom, ears flapping, tail wagging. Don't know this guy's problem, Hunter, but I can take him if needed. You back me up, buddy. Hunter gives him a tilted head look and wags his tail. JC pulls on clean jeans, takes a test whiff of his underarm, and spritzes Old Spice in each pit for his guest's benefit. He dons a faded camo USMC sweatshirt with the sleeves cut out. Slipping bare feet into moccasins, he pads back down the tiled hallway to the entrance. JC opens the door and extends his hand to Benjamin. Please come in. I'm JC Eckert. You woke me up. Benjamin shakes his hand but hesitates. Peering inside, he shudders when he sees 75-pound Hunter sitting, staring at him with eager eyes. His front feet shuffling in place, it makes it appear he's anxious to pounce on Benjamin. Benjamin looks at JC with trepidation. That dog gonna tear me up? Scared of dogs. He might bury you in slurpy kisses and licks, given a chance. Otherwise, he's harmless. Scared us both, you beating on the door. What's that about? And that brings us to the end of our submission. I Before you start uh, in on the critique, I just wanted to say, wow, you did the dog sounds really well. <laughs> uh, they were great. Thanks. I think you were channeling Saxon or something there. I might have been. <laughs> oh, thank you. Yeah. Oh, yeah, great okay. reading. So I really... Um, I have a lot of good things to say about this and a few things that um, I, I guess I want to start by saying that there's a reason we chose that quote today about hemlines and styles and things shifting. And that's because it's very unusual choice in nowadays to choose omniscient voice, which allows you to see everything and know what's going on in everybody's head. And it's an <coughs> unusual me. choice. Um, to write in the present tense. And typically, the reason that authors are advised against doing that is because it's done poorly. Um, however, I really like it in this piece. I like the present tense, I like the immediacy of it, and I like um, that I'm, I'm feeling very much in the moment. And um, I think we both had kind of a little <gasps> of surprise 
um, once we hit chapter one and realized that Tanisha was missing. Mm-hmm. Um, so th- the thing is that there are a few places for me where it doesn't work. And unfortunately, those places are right in the beginning of the manuscript. So the very first chapter of the prologue starts shaking his head violently, side side. Hunter can't avoid the rope noose and on and on. He's gagging for breath and tongue hanging out. I don't know that Hunter's a dog at this point. And I'm envisioning... um, you know, someone hanging from a rope noose, and I don't know who that person is. I'm assuming it's a person as a reader. And this is too much drama, too much shock value to open a novel with. I don't care about Hunter yet, so it doesn't mean anything to me that he's hanging. It just feels like gratuitous shock value writing. And so I'd recommend um, definitely not starting with that paragraph. Um, and then I actually, there's, there is a lot of head hopping, but I think the author really pulls it off. And so this is one of those things where some editors might suggest differently. Some editors might suggest rewriting it. Um, and with all things and all critiques, you have to take it with a grain of salt and, you know your story better than anyone else and you stand by your choices and this is very clearly a deliberate choice this author has made so um it works for me for the most part i want to say the one place it really does not work is going into hunter's head the dog i at that point i kind of roll my eyes and i'm like really i don't you know it may be that there's something deeper in the manuscript in the story that merits us being in hunter's head but as a reader, I have a very hard time with it. It kind of um, takes away from how well put together everything else is for me. What about you, Leslie? Do you feel the same way? Um, yeah, I had a little, it was disorienting, I would say, um, that first paragraph. Um, later on, I felt like it was okay. You know, like it worked for me, but in the beginning, it was, as I said, it was disorienting and I had a, it was a little tricky. Yeah. Yep. I would recommend that the author really consider how important that dog's point of view is. If it's something like the dog is going to find out a critical piece of information later and is going to have a hard time communicating it to the humans, that might be worth keeping, but then it kind of feels like it's a story about a dog and I think we really want to read about Tanisha and JC and the Bookers and see, I'm sorry, I think it's the Bookers, it's the Bennets. And um, I, yeah, I I, I recommend keeping the point of view human. Um, Okay, and then the next choice, so the omniscient point of view Um, In paragraph two, we start with another delightful day is born for Tanisha Washington. Unpredictable trauma, havoc, mystery, and horror will descend around her and people she doesn't even know. To me, that feels more like a book description than something that belongs in a novel. And I understand that the author is introducing an omniscient viewpoint. Um, And we see this a lot in movies, really, where you get kind of a wide-angle view of the world, and then you slowly move in and with the camera, and then you end up 
finding out who the character is that we're zooming in on. And in spite of the fact that readers are settling down to read several hundred pages of a novel, they don't have patience for that when they're reading a novel. They want to start intimately with a character. And so I would recommend um, cutting those first two paragraphs. Um, I think that the information that we learn from them is present in the rest of the story. And I think that starting with Tanisha walking to get the paper and making breakfast for her family is much stronger. Um, it, it's much more intimate. It brings the reader in faster and it's not off-putting. So that's what I would recommend there. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to talk about was consistency in dialogue. So Tanisha, who's really sweet and obviously is affectionate with her family, sounds one way with her family. Grandpops, you know those Astros can't get it done. They got no pitching. And then when she's at school, you know, she says to Betsy, I'll walk you to the door, Betsy. I insist. We're neighbors. It's no trouble at all. We can talk some girl talk. So it's a very different way of speaking and i'm not saying that tanisha doesn't alter her language depending on who she's with that may very well be the case she's a smart girl and she may adapt to her situation but i'd like to see just a minor mention of her acknowledging that um so that when I read di Tanisha's dialogue on one page and then I read it on another page, I feel like there's a reason for it to change so dramatically. Um, I think that the last thing I want to mention is I, I just noticed some, um, and this is really just minor copy editing, some places where um, the author would say he did something and then the next paragraph or next sentence uh he did something again and that's he would not be the same he that was referred to previously and so it's just a matter of cleaning up the pronouns and making sure that they're all referring to the right person oh that's what i have for this i think it's really close i think it's um it's intriguing and i would definitely turn the page and keep on reading what about you leslie I agree. Um, I'm really eager to read the rest of this story. Um, some of the things that I really loved about this piece, uh, I loved the sensual details, the the sounds, the smells, the you know the the hot pink azaleas, the sweet smell of spring, the smell of sizzling sausages and coffee. Um, I just loved all those details, um, and I liked how we had the little clue about Tanisha knowing, you know, like the that saying about red sky at night, sailors delight. Um, that that's. It's, it's a little bit esoteric, I think, for most kids, uh, these days. And so I like that he, the author dropped the hint that she's in this, that she learned this in the science club and that she's an honor student and that so she's, you know, like she's a little more savvy than your average 
uh, teenager. So I like that. I'm just going to jump in and agree. I think the author does a really nice job of setting the stage and giving you a very full picture of what's going on using a really few words, very few words. Mm -hmm. It's nicely done. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So yes, love this piece. Um, I have a couple of suggestions that I would, uh, that I would make to the author. The um, the first is in uh, the dialect and the way that that's conveyed. Now, using dialect is a is a choice, right? In um, and a lot of editors will say don't do it uh, because it can pull the reader out of the story if it's um, if it's too jarring um, if you have to think too much about it. So, in you want it. I understand when, you know, when authors want to convey, you know, this person speaks a certain way or is, um, you know, you want to convey uh, a little bit of character uh, through dialect um, that you want to include enough to get the message across, but you don't want to do so much that you're pulling the reader out of the story or that the text becomes cumbersome to read. So how do you do that? Uh, effectively, you choose a few words. How many? Well, that depends. Uh, you know, that's one of those things my mom used to say, like, she didn't have, uh, like, detailed recipes that were like three cups of this and two and a half cups of that. It was always enough. Um, and I think that that's a, in this case, it's a, it's the writer's choice and you just want to be mindful. Perhaps have, uh, your beta readers look out for that or, you know, be listening if they talk about that sort of thing. Um, you can use patterns of speech and rhythm. You can also have another character notice or mention, hey, this person talks like this or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, it doesn't, and it doesn't need to be repeated so much. So every time the person speaks, you don't have to do the spelling and do the, do the dialect. It's more of a way of creating the character and then, in the reader's mind and then moving on with the story. Yeah, I think you really just want to imply the dialect with as few clues as you can, because every time that you, you're reading dialect, you're writing it out, as you said, um, you're slowing the reader way down and making them aware that they're reading dialect. So even just, um, I think that the rhythm in those dialogue sentences is really nice and just lightening up the dialect a bit, I think would help quite a bit. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I felt like um, Booker and Claria a little bit pulled me out of the story, whereas Benjamin's and Tanisha's, um, the, you know, the few words that were included in their dialogue that gave you a little hint of dialect, I felt like that was really well done. The others, as I said, pulled me out of the story just a little bit. I would agree with that. I thought um, Benjamin's was also very well done. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. All right. Then the next thing I wanted to mention is the possibility of a permissions issue uh, with the lyrics from uh, Oklahoma. Uh, I we, When we were talking about this before, Alyssa, we were thinking that maybe most readers will get the reference by, you know, by saying referencing Curly's opening or referencing the musical. Um, that would be... Um, 
if if you include the lyrics, you would definitely want to do a little investigating. The same with the hymns. Um, what what you need to be mindful of is that the law in this area is really fuzzy. Um, and Helen Sedwick has a great book that covers a lot of the issues about permissions and copyright. And she, uh, the book that she has written is Self-Publisher's Legal Handbook. And that's got a lot of great information about this. Um, if something is not in the public domain, then you really need to seek um, permission if you're not within fair use. And that's all very tricky stuff. So you definitely want to either avoid it by referencing the name or some other more oblique way of of talking about it or uh, making sure that you get permission to use those. Right. And titles can't be copywritten. So, or copyrighted, excuse mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so you could certainly say, um, is it song called Oh, What a Beautiful Morning? I, I mean, think it is. I think it is too. So you could say um, that boomed out the opening lines to oh what a beautiful morning morning from oklahoma and that you're completely within your legal rights but once you move into lyrics those no longer fall into fair use is my understanding um i have a great author friend who writes rock and roll fiction and in her early drafts of her first novel she had a lot of lyrics in there and then she did the research and um with her lawyer husband and they decided it was far more hassle than it was worth to get the permissions and they ended up cutting the lyrics from the book as a result so if someone writing about rock and roll and and using lyrics as a key part of the story is making that choice it's definitely worth paying attention to because you don't want to get into a legal battle. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And I think there are some clever ways you can do it. Like, I mean, if you just say, oh, what a beautiful burning. Um, like, yeah, I start hearing the song in my head. And I think most people probably do of a certain age, perhaps. Uh, and uh, yeah, so I would uh, definitely recommend that the author look into that or alter it so that it's um, not going to run afoul of the per, of the copyright issue. Um, and my last uh, item I wanted to mention under the copy editing uh, is is actually show don't tell, um, which is a right. That's one of those um, popular oft quoted uh, rules in fiction show don't tell. Um, and what I want to specifically say about this one example is that the author actually already sh- showed what he then told uh, the and this was, of course, the very detailed description of the car that Tanisha encountered after school, a midnight blue tricked out Impala with dark reflective blue tinted windows slow cruises close to the middle school exit door after volleyball scrimmage at day's end it messages the look of a drug dealer or pimp mobile to me that last sentence doesn't need to be said the the rest of that like i have that image and i know that this person just from the way that it moves the way that it's at school uh, at the end of the day, that that there's something off about that, and I don't think that the author really needs to s- to spell it out for us. 
I agree. And it actually takes you out of the scene a bit. And then you have to get back in the scene to get the cloud of smoke coming out of the windows and the, see the neck tat and hear the metallic, see the Metallica t-shirt. Yeah, yeah. I love all those details. They're so rich. And uh, yeah, it doesn't need, you don't need to do that. We've got it. <laughs> yep, yep. I'm realizing there's one more thing I wanted to mention, and it may be very intentional, but um, this this line where Booker looks up and studies Tanisha in her tight yellow blouse, blossoming bosom, tennis shoes, and smooth latte-colored long legs all the way up to her little short skirt. Mm -mm. To me, that was really creepy. Um, I... I ha I instantly felt like I did not like Booker and I didn't trust him. Maybe that's intentional, but if Booker is um, someone that Tanisha trusts and who has no um, no chance of being the bad guy in this book, I might change that a little bit. I understand that we're trying to get a sense of what Tanisha looks like. I might I might suggest the author chooses to do that differently if the intention is not to have Booker seem like a creepy old man. All right. All right. But overall, yeah. very well done, yeah. Jeff. We look forward to reading this entire book. Thank you for your submission. Thank you. Yes. So, Alyssa, do you have an editorial mission for us this week? I do. I do. Thank you. So, um, as I mentioned, um, movies, it's perfectly fine to start with that wide camera angle and kind of follow the feather down to Forrest Gump until you find out who we're watching on the park bench. It's perfectly fine in movies to start with the panorama of the city and then zoom in until we're in somebody's living room and we meet the character. That is something that we like in movies, but we don't like it in novels. So I would like for you today to take a hard look at your first page, your first paragraph, and ask yourself if you are close in with a character or if you've made the choice to start with this panoramic vision and panoramic view. And if, you've ha if you have made the choice to go for the panorama, I'm gonna strongly urge you to rewrite that opening and get us in right close to a character immediately. All right. That sounds great. Uh, so, authors, are you ready to find out how you can improve your own writing? We would love to help. We're actively seeking submissions right now for our podcast, and you can find out all the details as well as, as I mentioned, grab the show notes from today's episodes at writership.org slash podcast. We hope that you'll trust us with your words, and we'll do our very best to help you elevate your writing to the next level. So please send in your submission today. Remember, the Writership Podcast is brought to you by the good folks at the Author Marketing Institute, which you can find at www.authormarketinginstitute.com. Don't forget to stop by today for access to the video course, Selling Your First 100 Copies. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Writership Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please consider leaving a review on iTunes and sharing the show with your author friends and communities. And right after you do that, make sure to contact the hosts, Leslie and Alyssa, to help you find the treasure in your manuscript. Head on over to writership.org forward slash podcast to submit your pages.